My favorite project really probably is the one that I did in East Austin at 1201 Cesar Chavez. Um, it was a 111-year-old building that I renovated for a family. It's in the second and third generation. Their grandfather had bought it in 1919. He had purchased it. So, and it had fallen into disrepair. It was in really bad shape. They came to me, they said, would you, you know, renovate this? And I'm like, no, thank you. <laughs> Welcome to the Performance Mindset Podcast. And I'm your host, Amy Calandrino, CEO of Beyond Commercial. After a decade of providing expert commercial real estate advice and consultation to the business owners and investors I serve, I wanted to share some of the most inspiring and influential leaders I've met along the way. The goal of this podcast is to share valuable insights from these impactful individuals, as well as business and commercial real estate trends. If you want to grow, you're tuning in to the right show. Hello, friends. Amy Calandrino back with another episode of the Performance Mindset Podcast. I'm super excited today to have Delee Becker with me, who I met through the CREI Summit not too long ago. And as you know, this podcast exists to bring leadership information as well as commercial real estate information, mindset information to those that are interested. If you really want to grow, you're tuning into the right show because you're going to hear from some of the most amazing and impactful individuals and leaders that I've met along the way. I have a biography written for you, but would you like to kind of share your own experience in your in your own words? Sure. I am happy to, although I've read the biography that you wrote, so I might pretty <laughs> You're like, that's pretty good. <laughs> it was very good. That's why I was like, oh, I'm gonna have to use this for a bio that somebody else is requesting. So <laughs> my name is Delee Becker. I'm in Austin, Texas, and I am owner and founder of Beckerite Commercial Real Estate, Beckerite Asset Management, and then I own a construction company with my husband. We do Textile Road and Bridge Repair. Beckerite and Sons is the name, and we have been in business 24 years. Mm. So what I really do is I like to buy buildings that I can gut and rehab, and then I use my brokerage to lease it. I use my asset management company to manage it. And if it needs construction, then my construction company handles that. That is amazing. I think one of the things we're going to talk about is your background. Like, how did you even get into this? Do you want to dive in? Yeah, let's dive in. Okay. So <laughs> I, the, the critical factor is the, is the construction company. And I was actually at Heston Tilson yesterday, HBC College here in Austin, Texas. And I was at the career fair looking for interns. And I made it very clear that this all started because I had a construction company. And we were invited to buy a building in East Austin in 2006 that we renovated. And then we put our offices in because back then you really couldn't lease it for much in East Austin. Mm. So I really came into commercial real estate through that, the construction side, redevelopment side. And, okay, and then putting your office that. into it, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so... Whenever I started doing commercial real estate, I, I really came at it from the construction side. So I'm, I'm very proficient on the redevelopment, construction prices, due diligence, and performance, et cetera. Wow. Do you do consulting for people outside of your families then? Is that a part of your practice or does your own portfolio tend to keep you 
pretty active. For the redevelopment side, I really only do mine. And that said, I've done one for one client yeah. and only because they moved seven of their assets into my management and my leasing. So uh. because of that, I redeveloped their 111-year-old building in East Austin. It was a four-year project and it was hard in a million different ways. And it solidified my stance that I would never redevelop anything I don't own. <laughs> or, you know, yeah. And I mean, if I'm going to, I'm not going to do the construction, but let's say I'm doing the pre-leasing and helping to put together the whole project, it better be for someone that I already like, no, I don't tend, or a lot of people call me and like, oh, I have $30 million. I have $40 million. I'm sure you get those emails like all the time being a broker. And they're like, all these people. And I'm like, everyone in your brother like has like money to invest, but I don't like know you. I don't know your culture. And so typically I want to like work with someone before I would do something like at a redevelopment or investing or any of those really sticky kind of deals. Real And long tail, like you know, yes. is it four, if it's four years. So <laughs> the answer is, so I do have four brokers that work for me. Yes. So somebody came to me and said, this is what I want to do. I would, I would pull in one of my other brokers or two of my other brokers. I mean, clearly a leasing plan, we can do that all day long. Would I consult with it? I, I just don't think I would offer to be the project manager yes. on the project. But if they've got a project manager or developer that's doing it, absolutely. And the yeah. sooner you get me involved, the better. And what my clients really get out of me is that I do own a construction company. I do this all the time for myself. So everything that I do for a client is done as if I own it always. So they always get the owner mindset. I, I told people early on in my career, like not exactly like I would own it, but I would give you the same advice that I would my own father. And I think that's crucial to look like, look at for when working with like a, a broker or, or anyone like that, because if they are just trying to sell one person, but then would tell their family something different, then I think your antenna should be up. I 100% agree. And I do know there are brokers out there that are commission focused. So they're going to make decisions based on their commission, their bottom line. I do not. I mean, quite honestly, all of my commission goes to buy buildings. So I'm not going to give you bad advice so I can make money. It would ruin my reputation. And my reputation is everything to yes. me. So I'm going to, if if I, if I would walk from the building, I'm going to tell you that I, I have killed more deals than I've done because they weren't, they weren't the right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I really stay in my lane. I'm in the, you know, 1 million to 10 million property type lane. I, I'm not doing 50 million um, sales for multifamily. I don't do multifamily personally. Mm -hmm. I'm brokers that do it but I don't do it because I would never buy it and I would never manage it. So I'm, I'm not the right person to give you advice. Yes. I've been on a couple different podcasts and different things. And there's a difference when people are talking about commercial real estate. I think you're really more so talking about retail industrial office as those behave pretty similarly as far as calculating NOI, except for, you know, industrials, triple net versus office tends to be gross. But it's similar, similar in that you're going to have some vacancies and the leasing up is the same and how you would handle like improvements. But then multifamily is this whole other thing. It's, it's a whole other animal. And the big reason that I don't touch it is because I don't want to own it because I don't <laughs> want to manage it. it. There's different laws and regulations on how you deal with your tenants. 
And, and it's not something that could I go learn it? Sure. But now I'm juggling two sets of laws. I would yeah. rather just focus and be the best at the laws that apply to me. And so those are the those are the clients that we take because I know it backwards and forwards. I'm not going to get yeah. them in trouble. Multifamily, I don't think you can just lock a tenant out because they don't pay their rent. In Texas, you can office. I mean, there are notices that have to go out. Right. You follow the you have to follow the the lease. And every time I default a tenant, I go through that lease from top to bottom, every amendment, and make sure that I'm following what's in that lease because every lease is different. Mm-hmm. Every lease is different. So I think it's a luxury to multifamily. Every lease is the same. Right. There's not a lot of nuances. That is true because once you have a letter of intent in commercial, then it goes to the attorneys and you may have like a lease, but then what it actually comes out of the lease, it, it can be completely different. You could have an exclusivity clause or, you know, all types of different things. All types of different things. And I know some brokers and people in the business that really leave all of that up to the attorneys. And that's fine. I do not. I am knees deep in it because it's going to affect me. So the attorney may write it, but whenever I go to default a tenant or they're paying their rent late, et cetera, I've, I've got to know what's in that lease. Yeah. So I might have an attorney draft that final draft, but only after I've reviewed it and I've redlined it and I've gone through everything. I agree. I mean, I think that the lawyers, you know, bring something to it, but then you need to understand once this document signed, what is this setting? What are we jumping off from? Because we have to follow this. This is, this is the contract between the parties. And if you don't follow and you're not aware of it, you should have an abstract of every lease. Some people have a lease and they just file it away in a drawer. I think most people do. And yes, (laughs) you should have an abstract. But I will tell you, anytime I'm dealing with an issue on a lease with a tenant or landlord, I always go to the lease. I read the lease again. I also save every single lease I've read. If there were 10 drafts, I've got them in a folder because Mm -hmm. it shows intent if something doesn't make it in the final lease. So I I tab it. I tab it. So whenever I go back to it five years later, because I'm moving a tenant out, I have my original or originals that are redlined, tabbed mm-hmm. and everything. So I can go through it quickly to find what I'm looking for. That's a good word of advice for investors and brokers. And having been in law before, but I didn't go to law school, but I'm married to an attorney. But I, I think that's true from a legal argument, potentially in a lawyer, you know, I'm not a lawyer, but you know, seeing how everything interplays and how it was all negotiated could be very important if an issue came up and someone says, oh, well, you railroaded me. I didn't know that was in there. Well, I'm sorry, you went through 11 versions of the lease. (laughs) And it was in all 11. So we didn't sneak it in at the end. And I will say, because I'm I'm principal in a majority, not a majority, in quite a bit of them, I'm owner. And in Texas, I can write a lease like I'm an attorney, if I'm yep. a principal. Yes, that's true. Okay. All of that matters to me. What's in the lease, how it affects me down the road. So I'm reading every word. And every time there's a draft back from an attorney, I pull up the last draft. And I think I learned this from an attorney, I'm sure. And I check the word, the, the last word in every sentence to make sure something didn't get snuck in. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and some of these are, you know, 50 page leases. Because I don't want something snuck in. And I can tell my clients all day long, I'm not an attorney. 
But if something gets snuck in, they're going to look at me first. Yeah. Why did you catch this? <laughs> right? Because that's so, something a non-attorney could do. You could just put it into Word to compare it against each other or just do a visual check. I think that's, that that is a good piece of advice too. And um, I do look at it, but with that intent, I think that would be important because I have seen that happen before back when I was still working in law transitioning over into commercial real estate, there was a deal where something was snuck in, you know, by an attorney on the other side and just happened to like catch it instead of, you know, you want to project your personality onto other people that you wouldn't do something like that, but you have to assume sometimes other people might. (laughs) I I assume, I trust nobody. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Well, we met at the commercial real estate summit, CREI. Summit. Take us through what does CREI mean and how's that experience been transformational for you? So, I believe what the CREI Summit or CREI means to me is commercial real estate influencers. And it came about, I mean, years ago, it was Duke Long. He's the OG that started the list. And it was, I think it started on Twitter, if I could be wrong on that. And then Ken Ashley took it over in 2021. And decided to do a summit where it brought us all together. So commercial real estate brokers, let's just use that bucket of professionals. Not a lot of them are on social media. Not, I mean, there are plenty, but not a lot. Right. But there's this little sect of us that, you know, some of us, I've been on social media since 2010. So I was an early adopter. And I will say I'm I'm the same way with chat GBT. I am trying to figure out every which way I can use it. I'm an early adopter. <laughs> oh, yes. I, we, we had this whole conversation during CRE chat, hashtag CRE chat, about whether we're worried about it. But back to your point, those that are early adopters are actually going to use it versus shiny new toy people that are like, oh, that's cool. And then just like file it away and keep doing things the same way versus embracing it and then bringing it into the fold. Embrace it and stay on top of it, like learning all the time. And that's what I've done with social media. So whenever this influencer list came out, I was like, what? What (laughs) You've got to be on this. I mean, really, I had FOMO so bad. Uh, I think it was the 2020 list. And and I was like, "I, I didn't even know this existed. Now I have to be a part of it. And I saw that there was the summit in Lake Tahoe and I immediately registered. And whenever I went, what I found was this simple because it's the, you know, we're going on the third year this September in Orlando was I met people I'd been following for years. I knew them digitally, but I had never met them in person. And that was, I mean, wow. <laughs> and the biggest thing that I have gotten from it is givers get. And it is a group of people, 150 people come to the summit on average, and we are all of the mindset of sharing, mm-hmm. right? So I'm not holding back my secrets of if somebody says, how did you do this on Instagram? I will tell them even better. I will show them or like one of the questions you sent was, you know, the influencers I've done, I've, I've what is it called? Not coordinated with. Collabs, um, collaborations, collaborations. So, so 
Tiffany Ryland. Love her. She's in Houston, Texas, and she's an influencer. I, she has millions of followers on TikTok, I believe. Mm. And I said, Tiffany, I want you to help me. And so she came up with the video. She found a video that we were going to basically copy, but I was going to be the content. She told me what to do. She's like, come to your room, do this with your shoes, and then you'll come down. We'll make your hair toss. She videoed the whole video. And she edited it. She edited it for me on my phone, standing there at the summit. It would have taken me days to figure it out. Yes. And she just knocked it out for me because it's in her lane. She's like, I can do this fast. It's going to take you forever. So that's what she did for me. So that was a collaboration. Eddie Gonzalez said, will you be in a tub talk with me? And I'm like, absolutely. He's like, you don't mind being in the same tub with me? I said, no, sir, I do not. (laughs) I have not done one in the same tub as him, but I think I was his first uh, digital one. I think you might have been, and I did watch it. And (laughs) wasn't it fun? It was so fun. It's fun. and Scary, but fun. Scary? For a moment, for a brief moment. And then you're like, do it. It's fun. (laughs) Well, and for you and me and Eddie, it fits our personalities. Right. So it's not out of the scope that I would do something crazy and funny. (laughs) That's I think people have come to expect it of me. And really what I use social media for is any potential clients, go look at me on social media, see what you think. Because if you don't like me, don't call me, Right. I have four brokers that work for me. They are not necessarily on social media like I am. They're not in tubs with bubbles. (laughs) So we've got somebody at Beckright that will work with you and probably cater to the way that you work. For instance, I don't text with clients. That is not something I do. I keep Mm -hmm. it on email because it's legal and I want records. Mm. But I know that there's a lot of people that do like to text. And Jim Rowark is my leasing hoss. He's amazing. And he'll text all day long. So he's crazy responsive. That's amazing. I'm not crazy responsive. But I also have 24 years of construction experience. I do this for myself. I'm an owner, et cetera. So you get phenomenal expertise that very few brokers have. But I'm not going to text you day and night. That's interesting. I think that's. I think you lose a bit of like formality and in respect, you know, I try to divert, well, I do, I divert people back to like my team to support them because I do do broker deals in my personal experience. But I think that's a good tip to try to keep it on the email because otherwise you're, how how do you have that conversation? Let's just say someone is doing texting with their clients and wants to kind of bring it back to to, to emails and in scheduled calls and have a bit more of a, I would say formal, you know, relationship. Like how do you, how do you bring that around? So I, I never let it start for the most okay. part. So even today I had a breaker text me about touring one of my buildings and I emailed them and I said, see your email. That's so then people quickly start to learn. Every time uh, me, I'm going to email you back. And the biggest reason also for me is I have staff that check my email. Yes. I get, you know, I here in Texas, a lot of us are on CCIB blast. And so we get hundreds of emails a day about properties on the market or or buyers and tenants looking. And then I'm on, you know, Marcus and Milchap, JLL. I want to see everything that's on the market. So 
there's probably 300 emails that come to me every single day. So I have staff that goes through that, right? Puts mm-hmm. the news I need to read in a news folder, leaves the important meaty stuff for me, answers what they can and deletes the junk. Yeah. So if you're texting me, no one but me can get that. What if I'm out all day? What if I'm out for two days? That is, a, that is that is not even if you're in commercial real estate, because we have business owners that listen to this, you know, and other leaders and other people. With my staff, I try to use Microsoft Teams because otherwise I try to keep the emails from more external things coming in. We collaborate in teams and we can go back and forth on documents. Let's just say we were having your podcast coming up. Then uh, we posted like the potential questions and I was able to redline, collaborate, bounce back and forth versus if I did it in a text and I'd lose it. I think, yeah, that's a, I think that's something for people to consider because also too, you could lose a whole chunk of what happened because it's over here in someone's text. Correct. And, and I don't know how Microsoft Teams works, but a big thing is I actually email all of my staff. Everything's okay. in an email so that whenever somebody, I say, did this get done? And they say, I didn't know that needed to be done. I go, and I forward it. And I say, well, I sent it three weeks ago. Right. <laughs> I can see what date they got it on. So, because I, th- my staff is also getting a lot of emails, mm-hmm. right? And I'm very big. I learned this from my sister-in-law. I print important emails. Yeah. I print them and I keep them on my desk till they're done. I, I do that too. Yeah. Really love email for this. If you, there are people that like to email in paragraphs, right? There's a lot of content in that email. So I will copy and paste that whole email into a document that I break up into bullet points with spaces. So then I can go through the action items or the questions. And then whenever I respond back, it's in the bullet point style with different font colors. So they can see their question and my answer. Mm. Uh I like really thorough emails and I like it to be efficient. So I really won't answer an email till I have all of the answers, unless it's, you know, this answers. Or you might just say, hey, I've received your email. I'm working on responding to it. I'm not good about that because I would be, I'd shoot out a hundred emails that say that. Oh, that's true. You know, so all day long, it'd be like, I'll get to this. I'll get to this. I'll get to this. No, I mean, like if I start to be more than like a business day or two, I I might, like if it's going to take me a bit, like, hey, I'm working on getting the answers or have one of my team members email someone, but yeah. Yes. And to be fair, yeah, I do have my my assistant often will email and say, here's these answers. Delise working on this. She's got to talk to other (laughs) Yeah. Because I mean, you can't get to everything every moment, especially if you already have things planned out. Oh, yeah, you can't. We talked about how you got invested into real estate and how this has been like a cumulative process, like, you know, and just keep snowballing over time and morphed into this other thing. Have you had a favorite project that you've worked on? They're all my babies. So... (laughs) Yeah, um, I'd say the favorite project is usually the one at hand, right? Yeah. So yeah. I, I put I put one in, I tuck it back into bed, and it's done. Then I move on to the next. My favorite project really probably is the one that I did in East Austin at twelve hundred one Caesar Chavez. Um, it was a hundred and eleven year old building that I renovated for a family. It's in the second and third generation. Their grandfather had bought it in nineteen nineteen. Wow, he had purchased it. So, and it had fallen into disrepair. It was in really bad shape. 
And they came to me, they said, would you, you know, renovate this? And I'm like, no, thank you. (laughs) And then they said, well, they didn't say I went and, you know, did my research to find out uh, other things that they owned. And I said, I will do this renovation, but then I get to, you know, lease all of your other properties. And they said, that'd be great, but you have to manage them also. And that's how Beckright Asset Management started. So the thing that was my favorite is the difficulty and the fact that I completed it. So Mm. we had an amazing amount of hurdles to get over that you, I had no idea. So we actually had to get, we had to sign a 99 year lease with the city of Austin because the West wall was built two feet out into the city right of way. (laughs) The city owns it. The city will not let you buy it from them. But so we had to go through this big, long process with the city with um, 11 departments, then went to the city council to get approval. So just that to allow the building to continue (laughs) standing. (laughs) So, and that's just one hurdle. I think there was about 26 major catastrophes that we had to go through. We had a a, a pole owned by AT&T on the sidewalk next to the West Wall that made the sidewalk not ADA compliant. And guess whose problem that became? That was the owner's problem. The owner's problem. Even though the owner didn't create the problem, it was now the owner's problem because they would not give building permits, et cetera, till it was remedied. (laughs) So how did you move the antenna? Well, AT&T was not... um, receptive they 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 weren't going to move their telephone pole that had you know not only that that had Austin electric you know on it etc <laughs> so i i mean really went and stood outside the building and i'm like what 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 and we decided there was parking spaces next to the curb and so but they're owned by the city so i said okay we're going to bump out this sidewalk 36 inches okay mm-hmm. now I've got to go to all of the departments, the right away, the city. The 11 departments, but you're already familiar with the 11 departments. So it's not quite. I I am dealing with them on this other thing. So when they see me coming, they're like, what do you have now? (laughs) So I go to all the departments and everybody off the bat is like, no, we're not, we're not approving this. And I'm like, well, okay, but this is why do, 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 do. And they're like, why are you doing it? I said, well, because of the, and they're like, Oh, <laughs> so they, yeah, once they dawned on them, they, they actually got really helpful. So they're like, okay, this is what you have to do. So I had my civil engineer do that. Then we go to the next department. They're like, no, we're not agreeing to any of this. And I'm like, no, this is what we're doing. And right away said, it's okay. And <laughs> you had to keep doing it again and again. So one thing I noticed, four years. four years. So one thing I noticed though, too, when you're dealing with those situations and you find that there's really only one solution, but then you're not getting buy-in from the other side. Sometimes I have to just say to them like, okay, you're saying no, but perhaps do you have another suggestion? Because to me, you know, criticism. So there's a difference between feedback and criticism. I think criticism, somebody just says no. And they don't say any reason. It's not justified. It's not educated or anything like that. And then I consider feedback like, no, because blah, 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 blah. And so like sometimes in those situations to say, okay, well, you're telling me no, but like I need like feedback. What what can I do instead? Like, how can we solve this problem? Exactly. And I will say I'm very grateful that it all occurred before the pandemic. 
So I have found that the best way to deal with the city of Austin is in person. So I I would go in and I would sit down. Like I sat down with Austin Energy to find out if the poll belonged to them. And so we sat through. He's like, no, it's not owned by city. It's not owned by Austin Electric. It's not owned by the city. And he sat and he's like, it's owned by AT&T. Is that good? You don't look like that's good. And he's like, it's bad for you. They're they're not going to move it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm like, okay. But see, he gave me a cookie crumb. Right. So he told me his AT&T. He told me that there was no way they would move it. Then I could go research that instead of just saying no without any information. Right. And I believe it's because I was sitting there in person and I, I really wasn't trying to railroad him to do what I wanted. I was there to get information, explain the issue and say, I, I mean, I've got to find some solutions, but it, yeah. it took a very long time. So at the end of it, the four years, it, my husband who's not huge into compliments, said, Delete, what you have done, very few people have ever done in the city of Austin. So that was was my feather in the cap, and I'm very proud of it. I wouldn't sign up to do it again unless I owned it, though. Right. I mean, and and, and you might as well end on a a good note. That that is the good note. Right. I completed it. Just, that's good. I did something. It was good. I tried it, but... I think for that amount of effort, it really needs to be like for my, you know, family or like something that I'm involved with and in the stakeholder. And, like- and the big thing also for me, because I'm, I'm efficient is if I own it, then I don't need to write a bunch of reports. I don't need to yeah. get a whole bunch of input, right? It's affecting me and I can move faster. Yep. I like moving faster, especially in the processes that are just slow. It's just yeah. slow. So I mean, I mean, I made an hourly rate, nowhere near touched what my time was valued at, but, and this is very important. So I'm very grateful for it. We lease and manage their buildings. And in that time, you know, we've sold, I think three of their buildings, including that one. We ended up selling it during the pandemic. Yeah. And those are the kinds of clients that if you're a relationship person, those are the people that you want around you that see your value. And that want like an ongoing, you know, relationship. So. Absolutely. And those are the clients I would take all day long. Yeah. So I do, you know, it's pretty much at, at Beckright Asset Management. I don't really take one-offs, you know, like I'll manage your 6,000 square foot retail building. It generally either comes in a package with others or it's a client. So right. very common for one of my clients or, or what even one of my broker's clients buys a building there's an issue. They call and say, can you handle the issue and just manage this? Because we don't know what we're doing. Right. <laughs> and you're like, I got and you. I'm happy to, especially, you know, if I, if I wrote those leases, I know them backwards and forwards. Yeah. What does your typical day look like? Ooh, there is no typical day. <laughs> I would say that's true for everybody. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe it's not true because Do I you have some bookends though. Cause I mean, probably it, you know, you have a lot of flurry of activity during the building, but do you have any practices that you follow? Because I know you're continually just studying chat GPT and all these other things. Like, how do you like incorporate that into your days? Oh, my goodness. Okay. So I have a, I have a, I have a front end, a bookend to my day. I am generally up and at them by 5 a.m. And I start my day in my God chair and I read the Bible. Mm. And that's, that's what calms me. So I pray, I meditate and I get calm for the day because most days there's something coming at me and I have no idea what it is. <laughs> so it, 
whoop, hits me. And that's what I spend my day dealing with. So I probably, I would say I check emails starting about eight and I'm flying through. So I'm very big into moving it out of sight. So Mm -hmm. you email me, Amy, about something that's happening at the end of the March, at the end of March. And I know I've got a couple of weeks to get to it. I actually have a thing called Sane Later. And I say- I use that. I love it. I love it. So I'll push it to pop up in two weeks because I don't need to deal with it now. I do need to deal with it in the future. Yep. So I roll through email during that. And then I usually sit down unless I have meetings and I eat the frog or the elephant, whatever. So it's my hardest thing of the day. And I try to do those in the morning because it's whenever my brain is on fire. I'm a morning person. Everybody has a different, you know, circadian rhythm, if you will. And when their brain is active, mine's in the morning. So I'm trying to write those thorough emails and reports and attach and all of those things. Those are usually handled in the mornings. And then afternoons, tours, odds and ends, emails, accounting. I do a lot of bookkeeping because I have three businesses and and all the buildings that we manage. So like right now, that's this morning. That's what I was working on. I'm finishing up books for 2023 for three properties. Yeah, I can relate to that. I got one tax return done and several more to go. So (laughs) my husband has a a law firm. And so I have that and we have our holding company. I have my brokerage. And I think it's important if you are a business owner to have like visibility and have your thumb like on the money. Like, and that's not something I found that can be delegable because otherwise you lose visibility. And it's something that I, I make time to work on like on a weekly basis. And then again, like in a more drawn out period, like on a monthly basis. And and I don't know if I'm as good as a monthly basis. I am on the asset management because that's yeah. just our operations procedures. We have a monthly workflow that we get yeah. through. But I, you, one of your questions was, what do you see that's bad advice for entrepreneurs? Um, yeah. Outsourcing your bookkeeping. Mm-hmm. You, you shouldn't outsource that. You should do it. Do it yourself because it's your money. And if you hand it to right. somebody else and they know you don't know what you're doing, they can steal the money mm-hmm. very easily. So my husband taught me that 24 year old construction company. I think we do about 6 million in gross a year for TechStot, and he does the books, every bit of them. I do payroll and nobody's in our books, but the CPA and really it's an accountant's copy. So nobody can yeah. see. I do have staff that will do the bookkeeping for the properties we manage. However, anything that's paid out of one of the owner accounts, it's a paper check that delete prints and I sign it. Mm-hmm. And it gets in the mail because I want all of my clients to know nothing gets auto drafted, online payments, et cetera, where somebody has access. It's yeah. me. I'm always signing my name. So if they have a question on a payment, they could pull up their bank statement that I send to them monthly and see the picture of the check with my signature. I have a very similar practice. So I sign all the all the checks for the holding company, my brokerage. I will soon have a management company, but I need to chit chat with someone who's amazing like you to get some tips and tricks as we, as I embark on that adventure. So, uh, but I think that, I think that is important. I have seen a lot of embezzlement when I was in the legal field before, when I worked with my husband, how many lawsuits we'd have to then go and 
he said to the business owners, well, you can't go after insurance or do all you got to throw this person that you had in your business for 10 you know, years that you considered a friend. You got to go like throw them in jail. <laughs> if you can find them. Right. If they haven't absconded. Yes. That and, happens too. And that is what happens. So it, it happens. It, clearly we're in the construction world and I, I know five contractors we know of at least have had it happen to them. And I think the latest one was probably like two years ago and their bookkeeper admin person had been with them 12 years, 12 years. And she'd slowly been stealing, but they didn't know. And at the end, she wrote herself a $150,000 check and disappeared. They couldn't make payroll. They couldn't pay their bills, right? Mm-hmm. Wherever you think about, it sounds like a small mm-hmm. amount of money, but it's not whenever that is there to run. Right. So you can go sue her, but you can't find her. Right. So that's, I mean, that'll scare, that I, that should scare everybody. So now, sure, let's say you're a much bigger business and you've got to outsource that or hire somebody right. to do it. You have got to be really good at, at understanding P&Ls and checking the balance sheet and all of that. So you as an owner mm-hmm. should have checks and balances that are proofing that. A great thing that my CPA taught me years ago, Delee, always have your mail, your business mail, going to a PO box where nobody else has access mm-hmm. and you get it and you have a stamp. So if it's a, an invoice from AT&T for your phone, you stamp it like to be paid, then you hand it to the assistant. They know you've seen it. They can't manipulate it digitally because mm-hmm. that's what they'll do. They can manipulate a bill to AT&T and say it was $800, pay AT&T 400, which is what the original bill was, and 400 to them. Mm. It's that easy. So you have to set up operations and procedures so that the bookkeeper doing it doesn't ever even get the crazy idea of doing it because it's, you know, you stick to your operations and procedures. You're always the one checking the mail. So statements don't disappear and voices don't disappear. That is how you do it. I, I think that that we can go into that for quite some time. But I mean, yeah, people can create whole new sets of books and everything. But you, yeah, I started having a PO box some time ago. And actually, I was asked by someone on my team like yesterday, Amy, do you think you'll ever stop like handling the mail? And I'm like, no, because it one is you guys don't know what to do with it. So it take you a long time to learn what to do with it. And number two, I like, I want to do it. <laughs> so that's not something I want to delegate. So I, here's my mail. And, and then I just block off time. I just, we have a policy with vendors that everything by the 25th of the month, like gets clocked in and then I'll pay everything at the end of the month and anything else that comes in, wait till the next time I do a whole round of checks. That's how I can manage it. Cause I'm not constantly doing checks, but everybody has something different. But I, I think that, you know, that plays into having like this mindset of accountability and doing the things that you, that you need to do, because otherwise if you delegate those kinds of things and something bad happens, then you didn't have accountability. You could end up being a vic- victimized because you put yourself in that position. And you trust the person and they're friends. You've had them for 12 years. I mean, there's no reason you wouldn't trust them. So and then everything that I do is, you know, for the next hundred years. So I, I operate my asset management company the way that let's assume my two sons do not want to take over the brokerage and the asset management company. 
they will understand when they go get an asset management company to handle all of our buildings, what to expect. So mm-hmm. they will actually interview companies and say, this is how you're going to do it. This is right. what we expect. We get monthly reports. This is how we want it to look, et cetera. So if that, if that asset management company says, well, we want to be on your checking accounts. We want to do this. We want to do that. We're going to yeah. do all online payments everywhere. My children would say, no, thank you. Yeah. I I would agree. I would 100% agree. Were there any books or anything in your entrepreneur journey as you've grown these different businesses that you've read that were that were helpful to you? Oh my goodness. I mean, I I I would say I'm a voracious reader. I think most of these days it's economy and news and market intelligence on the <laughs> internet, right? Mm-hmm. I rarely pick up a paper, sometimes the business journal. Books that have helped me Anybody getting into commercial real estate, I mean, honestly, the very first book I got on you know, digital was Commercial Real Estate for Dummies, right? Because oh. triple nuts were a part of my life in in construction world. Yeah. So I, I read that whole thing. Now, clearly, I don't need to refer back to it. <laughs> <laughs> I have a much better understanding of triple nuts than the Dummies book does, but it was fantastic. I found it super helpful. I've got a book back here called Traction, the ENO system, mm-hmm. EMS system. I have not, I've read about half of it. I've tried to institute it. I've not been incredibly successful, but I've taken bits and pieces from it. No, it's, it's a really good question. I'm always watching what other people post. So a book that I ordered because Beth Azor said it was one of her life-changing books is Focus. I cannot remember the name of the, of the author, but I have it sitting in my living room. I'm intending to read it, maybe on the flight to Orlando. <laughs> I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. I know. I know. <laughs> I'm sure I've read a lot of books. I always pick things from them. These days, because I drive places, I whenever I'm getting ready in the morning, I'm always listening to a podcast. Yes. Either because I want the market intelligence or... I'll listen to a podcast all about multifamily. So Mm. I have like a basis. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's not because I'm trying to get into multifamily. It's so that I can understand the terminology. I can understand what's going on, cap rates, et cetera. Yep. Because for investors, it's, you know, multifamily is almost a competitor to office, if you will. Because mm-hmm. people say, I'm in an office over here, but now we've got work from home and we don't know what's going on. I'm thinking about multifamily. I have some basis of knowledge. Right. So lots of podcasts, lots of YouTube videos, and really CREI Summit has amped that up because I now personally know a lot of them. So I know that they are truly experts. I, I watch your YouTubes. <laughs> and I wouldn't have done that if I, because I mean, I thought, Oh, these people that do these podcasts that, you know, there was something, but um, I learned that it wasn't as challenging as I thought, but I did learn if you're going to do a podcast, it has to be something that you're super passionate about. Otherwise it's not sustainable. And for me, having a performance mindset was a very important topic for me at the time and to connect with different leaders because of where I was in my personal journey. And that's why I've been able to really like stick with it. And it's continued to evolve and talk to all different people and all different backgrounds. It's been amazing. So, oh, 
It is amazing. And something that I have learned over time, and I'm sure I've heard a quote in a million different ways that say this, you can give all of your information, your secret sauce out to the world via YouTube, mm-hmm. or podcast, et cetera. Very few people have the oomph and the grit to go do it. Oh, yeah. Here it is. I get so presentations you- and my competitors may be there. And I'll literally say, this is, these are the pieces of equipment I use. These are the software. This is the hardware I use. This is the program that I use to syndicate my social media. I gave a presentation to Rotary not too long ago, a group that I used to be a part of. And I, I had a few competitors like there. And I didn't care. I mean, like, I'll share the more, even if you're in my same market. Like, I'm not, I'm not at all threatened. Also, I think I have an abundance mindset versus a scarcity mindset, which then goes back to the mindset. I think this is probably a good way to bookend our whole conversation today is I think there's a difference between a growth mindset and a fixed mindset and a scarcity mindset and an abundance mindset. And someone like you or me that have an abundant growth mindset, we don't care. Here, here's everything. Here's the keys to the kingdom. Yeah. I mean, and very few people are going to go put in all the work that we did to get them the keys. Like you hand them the keys, but they've got to back up and do it all. And performance mindset, you know, whenever I was thinking about what that means to me as I was preparing for this, CREI Summit, definitely. Oto, Marissa Limiasco. I now have so many incredible people in my life, you being one of them, (laughs) that has, I mean, catapulted my mindset yeah. because y'all are in the growth mindset and, and performance really who I'm around really affects my performance. It really does. So whenever I'm around people and they're doing this and they're doing that, and I say, I'm going to go do this. And I'm like, of course you're going to do that. And I'm like, okay. Then I <laughs> so so it's interesting you're saying that is I, I'll be giving a keynote to the power beacons that are coming into town that, you know, all came together because of Marissa and I came up with the sports success system and S P O R T, but you're absolutely right. The S stands for synergy. If you don't have that collaboration, you don't have those people like around you. I think it gives you the confidence to do it. What, you know, if, if Marissa didn't say to me at the first conference, Hey, you, you could do a podcast. Then I probably wouldn't even uh, like tried to do a podcast. I, I consider myself a strong person, but if you don't have those people around you, just like you're saying, I think that's that that's it. And especially, and if you're one of those people that have a scarcity mindset and you're not wanting to collaborate because you want to take, you want to go take all this back to your cave and keep everything, you're probably not going to get the same results that you and I are getting because you're not plugged in. Right. I mean, you, it, it is literally like plugging into a power source. Yeah. It really is. And then that's where the performance comes from. Yes. You're encouraged. You're doing bigger, harder things that things yeah. that you weren't planning on doing two years yeah. ago that, that just come into your mind and that it, it catapults you. So, I mean, I'm so excited about next week. I get to be with the Power Beacons, followed by the Investor Summit with Beth Azor. And then I bookend it with Retail Live, Stacey Mooney. I mean, her, her 
Her events are phenomenal. I always attend the one that's here in Austin, Texas, but I'm going to be in Orlando during that one. So I'm very excited to go meet all of the brokers in South Florida or all of Florida, I'm sure. And the retailers and hang out more with the people that are my energy source and give me ideas. I mean, Beth is the world's like beacon for giving out free info. You want to have to go knock on doors, canvassing queen. She's it. She'll give you every tip and trick she's got. Well, because there's, there's plenty of business for us all. And at the end of the day, we're all different people too. Some people you're pursuing may be a better fit for you than it's for me. And so I, I'm not, I'm not at all like threatened. And I've had takers come through my organizations and take, 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 and then go off, you know, somewhere else to do anything. And I don't, I don't mind. It's fine. <laughs> oh, I don't know that I'm, I mean, I kind of, I'm not do. fine, but like I will survive because like, I think that it, it a karma comes back too. I've had situations where my, and my husband, he's an attorney and he gave me really good advice. He's like, Amy, don't go out there and defend yourself and go out there. You don't need to tell everybody what they did. It will be found out and you don't have to go do that. Being the person that I will, I did not feel comfortable leaving it pending, but I did. And he was right. It took months to rinse through. I'm not, I'm not fine with it. You're right. I shouldn't say that. It's not, it's not acceptable behavior to do that type of thing. But at the end of the day, I think I'm able to then plug in to the energy of the other people. And I got that bad energy source out and it did me a favor. Yes. And because I will say this, this ties in with my tough talk with Eddie on reputation. Yeah. If somebody does you wrong, you don't need to go put it on Twitter or LinkedIn. Yes, you know, that's and correct. Yell it to the world. However, this is the most important thing that I understood from the very first day that I got my broker's license. Knowing people in the business, because whenever you call them on the phone, they will tell you what that person has done, how they operate, et cetera. That doesn't mean I won't go do business with them, but it means I've got a leg up in my opinion, because I Mm -hmm. know how they are going to act in the transaction. And so CREI Summit has been enormous for that. I looked Mm -hmm. at buying four buildings in Lubbock, Texas by Texas Tech. And one of my friends from CREI Summit, which, you know, I've met one time. Right. He's a CREI guy. Like, (laughs) he's a friend for life. So I texted him and I said, I've emailed you about these buildings. I just want your quick opinion. That's it. And he texted back and said, I'll call you in 10 minutes. I got a lot of opinion. So he called me. We went through the reputation of the broker selling them, the reputation of the owner that owned them. And it was very quick to me that, no, no, I'm not buying these. This is, uh uh-huh. Well, also, yes, I think that birds of a feather flock together. And it's interesting to see. And it's not every single time true, because sometimes a really good broker gets themselves wrapped up with a client that's not like does not have the best reputation. But typically, there's certain brokers in my market that I know that they're overpricing things or they might be they will work in tandem with their clients. Maybe not. I don't want to use the word schemes, but. I don't know that it's on the up, 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 like uh, I tend to do where I'm overly transparent. I I don't, I want to tell you the good, the bad and the ugly. I'm going to, so that way people can make a good decision. 
I know because they're going to find out the ugly anyways. Well, I guess some people prey on the fact that not everybody is thorough in their due diligence. Mm -hmm. Right. So, well, what CREI did for me is I, that became a 10 minute no, instead of me getting them under contract, me flying to Lubbock to check them out, me going through 30 days of due diligence to figure out what he told me in 10 minutes. Yeah. And that's enormous. And that really is the brokerage game. In my opinion, I'll put it simply. If somebody says, I'd like for you to sell my $5 million hotel to Lee, but I don't know why I'd pay 3% commission because you're going to get it under contract in a week. I mean, how much work is that for you? Well, it's going to be under contract in a week because of all the people I know and everything that I know and my marketing prowess and I know who to call, et cetera. It's two decades of experience that gets it under contract in a week. I'm actually worth more than 3% but I'll just take the three. And that is what I wish everybody knew about commercial real estate brokers. Our stuff isn't on MLS. It's not easy to find. There's so many nuances to every little thing. Mm -hmm. You pay a broker for their Rolodex, for their decades of experience, for their consulting, right? You can't pay me a consulting fee. I've got to get a 3% commission on it. That is my consulting fee. Yeah. That's what we bring to it. Yeah. That, that not everybody understands. I wish they did. You know, maybe they will someday. Maybe now that we have so many commercial real estate influencers out on every social media channel, maybe it'll change over time because there's still a majority of the public that thinks residential and commercial are the same. They're night and day. <laughs> oh, night and day. Night and day. Oh, well. We could totally schedule a whole part two because there's so much to unpack, but we got to, we got to land the plane. We can land the (laughs) plane. We can do part two, three, four. You are always a yes, Amy. Whatever you need from me. Yes, ma'am. You got it. Oh, and we, I can't wait to see you next week. We're, we're, it's wonderful when like, again, like it, it is like seeing you is like plugging into like a power source. I, I hope that's what the snippet that they picked to promote this thing. I mean, that may make it into my keynote, by the way. So that's why it's, that's why it's so good to connect with people. I think it's so true. It is like an energy source. It's an energy source. And I would say, Nala, plug in and pour into. Yes. Don't be it, you, you started it with that giver's gift. Givers get, and you've got to pour into it. And that's why whenever you texted me, I'm like, yes, I will do this. It's yeah. because, because if I want you in my life, I can't say I'm too busy. Right. right. You make time for what matters. So, and it's what matters. And that is you know very important to understand all the things that are urgent at the moment. That's why they're not dealt with at the moment. And right. people are like, I need a response. Well, no, you don't. Not today. <laughs> no response when I have time to do it. And I've put out the immediate fire Yep. or fires. Fires come first. Then my, you know, my, my tribe, my people that I trust and I do business with that, that I make money from those relationships. Those come next. Staff is in there. I give yep. time to my breakers and my staff and I'll sit with them. And they're like, I've got to find this for a, for a golfing client. They want to do indoor golfing. And I will just sit and think and go, Call this person at CBRE. What about this? How about this? How about this? Yep. I do 30 minutes of what's in my head and then I walk out. <laughs> yeah. Well, how do people get a hold of you? 
Well, I, I think I like Instagram, LinkedIn, what's usually works. Absolutely. So email is the number one best. Yeah. You like email. Yes. I've got staff that's in it all the time and they know to flag things and move it to the top. So my very favorite social media source, if you will, is LinkedIn. So I'm very active on LinkedIn. I'm looking at it every day. Uh, and it is Dilly Becker. Find me there or Beckwright Commercial Real Estate is the business page. Mm-hmm. I'm also on Instagram as Texas Commercial Real Estate. I am on Twitter. That's my OG one as Beckwright. Very simple. I'm on TikTok as Queen of East Austin. And I think those are my sources. And then your email will post in the show notes. Please post it to me at Beckwright.com. And if you search my name, you can find it. I put it at the top of my LinkedIn thing. I don't hide my email. If I get trash email, that's why I have staff. You know, that's, that's so true. And I think too, when people ask me about our fee, but I don't want to get into a whole nother conversation, but I think that, you know, you have staff and they're also paying for that. So you could be the most productive to be the brain trust that they hired you for. So, ah, that's amazing. So good to connect. And thanks to everyone for tuning in to the latest performance mindset podcast. And we hope to see you soon. The CREI Summit, the Investor Summit in Orlando. Right after the power beacons land. I can't wait.